Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 63, and we are finishing part one of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. We're all the way through chapter 32, which is finally the end of part one. And this is definitely the longest part one we've ever had in one of these books. How are we feeling now that we finished part one of Oathbringer? I'll start with you, Elliot. Ooh, uh, a journey with quite the ending to, to part one here as well. I'm, I'm quite excited to talk about it with you guys. Paul? Oh, me too. This was definitely an exciting part one ending. It's almost crazy to me to think that this is just a part one of a book. Yeah. Because um, it was very crazy. We had some very big reveals and some big an announcements, uh, arrivals, <laughs> lots of things. Lots of things. We'll get, we'll get into it shortly, but we had a correct Paul prediction in this in this episode, which we'll we'll talk about here shortly. But uh, Elliot, do you have two words to summarize this episode? I, in true Paul fashion, am going to rebel against your two words and only give you one. My one word is bubbles. <laughs> bubbles. He, you had Bubbles. you had three words last week, so we'll let one slide this week. There you uh, go. That's a time. good one. Paul? Um, yes, I have two words for you, Trevor. Two great words. Um, I have truth and watchers. You... <laughs> that, that, that's two different words. It is two you words. Didn't want to just... okay. No, it's not truth watchers. It's truth, and we have watchers. All so... right. Let, I don't even know how many words we have at this point, but let's use them to talk about episode 63. All right, yeah, words, whatever. Paul, you start, go. Um, I wish I could say my words are deep. They're not. It's because I just want to talk about Renarin. Um, that's about it. Um, we, we, actually, though, we had, we found out a lot of things this week. I think, honestly, this is one of the first times that I've had more questions answered than were brought up, or at least we had some questions answered. I will leave it at that, because once we start talking about it, I'm going to have a million more questions. We had some questions answered. We've seen an unmade now. Um, and Watchers, there's nothing nothing to go with. I just wanted to say <laughs> truth. Um, I thought about trying to make the connection, and I said Watchers instead of Watcher, because we saw Bridge 4, and they were watching the unmade. Wow. You're so, wow. All right. Moving on. We're, I'm not even going to pause on that one. Elliot, go. <laughs> Myron is so much more deep and insightful bubbles. than that. Yep, mm -hmm. bubbles. I I simply picked bubbles uh, for two simple reasons. First, actually, for Kaladin and Kaladin showing off a new ability in where he forms like a little protective bubble over him and the people he's trying to save to ward off the storm. Like, where was that three books ago? That would have been handy. Um, but I also picked bubbles for this oozy, creepy, flowy, unmade thing that in my mind is like this bubbling mass of slime and tar. And I don't really know. There's so many ways you could go with like depicting this visually, which I'd be really intrigued to see. But in my mind, it's kind of like this bubbling mass of grossness. I have a visual for you later this episode, which I can I can help you with there. But first, a round of applause for Paul. He had a correct prediction not too long ago that our slime guy was an unmade, and it yeah, has been perfect. revealed that our slime guy is an unmade. And we'll do a spell check, see if Paul can uh, spell 
the name of our slime guy. But first, Elliot, how do you say say this name? I I'm not sure about this one, but I think it is going to be said Ray Saphir. Okay. Ray Saphir. Oh no. Um. So I got this one wrong. I. I I gave this one my best, but I'm 99% sure I got this one wrong. The way that it says in the audiobook is Ray Shapir. Okay. I believe Ray Shapir. Um, And I changed my spelling of this, like, at least 10 times while trying to come up with it. I'm just going to go for it. Um, I'm going to assume that there's an asterisk, as we usually have in Brandon Sanderson stuff. So I an had, apostrophe. Yes, I said that. Yes, sorry. Um, I had. <laughs> see, that's how bad my spell check is going to be this <laughs> week. Um, I had R E apostrophe S H A P I E R Ray Shapir. Like literally, it's spelled like a peer. <laughs> I didn't even realize that, but at the end. Okay. So if it helps you when you Google Ray Shapir. It autocorrects you to Ben Shapiro. Um, <laughs> and the correct spelling is R E dash S H E P I R. Okay. That makes sense. Wait, is it dash like literally like a hyphen? Like a hyphen. Okay. And I would have never gotten the hyphen, but that's okay. If you think about this. I want you guys to think real hard. Is this the first hyphen we've had in a spell check? So I know where you're going because I thought of this. Good. I'm so glad you did. Go. I I now have some theory. Well, it's not honestly a theory. It's it's maybe some information that will help our ponderings in the past. The place where we saw a hyphen before was... I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but Ja-Anat. Ja-Anat. Which was in a Dalinar vision, right? Yes. Where he's in the pure lake, and they're like chasing some sort of evil spren thing, and then a big old beastie comes and smashes them all. Yep. So, Ray Shapir is an unmade doesn't seem like too far of a jump to say that Shah Anat is likely another one of our unmade so with this information I'm really glad you keyed into this do you guys remember when I asked you how many unmade we've seen on screen or on paper Uh do you guys remember this question Mm -hmm. I don't remember what my answer was I don't remember what your answer was either but Jean-Not was not brought up, and we didn't know about uh, Ray Shapir. But what's the other name for Ray Shapir that we were given in these chapters? Renard the, says it. Uh, the Midnight Mother? The Midnight Mother. What is another... What, what's another name we've heard Midnight in? Do you guys remember this? The Midnight Essence. Yes. All right. So we're we're beginning to connect a couple dots here of our black ooze connected to our Midnight Essence. We thought of we brought that up before when we saw the a couple chapters ago, the first time we saw this, and then she's revealed as the Midnight Mother, and we've seen Midnight Essence before. So there's some interesting ties we're having here. I'll turn it over to you. I'll turn it over to you guys real quick, and then I'll talk about something also related. But go ahead. I do want to say something about the midnight essence real quick. I, I did make that connection pretty fast in this chapter because we saw we see the like shapes like break off of the main mass and take form and come after and attack our our creatures. Which side note number one, which I want to talk to you guys about. This is like the solidest spren I think we've ever seen. This, it seems like a lot of our spren don't really interact with the physical world. It, it's like 
sill can just barely carry a leaf, right? Right. And so, but this spren can move things. It can kill people. It can stab you with a spear. Like this seems like a very physical, in the physical realm spren, which seems very different. But that's a side note. What I'm really going for is these figures that break off from the main mass, they mimic or seem to take the form of shapes that Shalon knows. We're kind of getting it from Shalon's perspective, right? So mm-hmm. she sees like Navani and Adolin and other people she knows in these shapes because they're mimicking people. Now, thinking back to when Dalinar first saw the Midnight Essence in that vision, were those creatures mimicking something? They they seem to be a very nondescript beings, if I remember correctly. But they were like the like generic generic enemy. Like But they were not they were not morphing. They were a definitive like shape, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember them as like, yeah, blobs with legs kind of and like mm-hmm. mouths and gonna eat you. But Yeah. I, I'm curious. Like gaseous to... was what yeah. I envisioned. I had in mind was like a smoke creature. Yeah. So now I'm wondering if if that's what this spren does is mimic things, and that was a mimicry of something. Puppy. Oh, maybe <laughs> dogs <laughs> or something. I don't know. Wolves maybe or white spines or who knows. But the. I also thought though, in this chapter, Shalon like almost melds consciousness with this thing, which is kind of crazy. We'll talk about it in a second. But she seems... You see, over time. So, so maybe that previous Midnight Essence we saw was before it was interested in humans, and it wouldn't be mimicking anything. It just was sending out its own little creatures. I don't know. But all of that were things I was kind of processing through as we're learning about Ray Shapir. If you guys would turn your attention to what I've posted in Discord, and I'll put it on screen for those watching now, this is a picture. It is titled Battle for the Lost Library by Petar Penev. And take a good look because there's quite a bit happening in this picture. Zoom in if you need to or whatever. But... uh, Take a second to look at this, and I'll get your guys' reactions. But this is a depiction of what is what is happening in this chapter. You're right. There is a lot happening. I even follow half the stuff that's happening here. Yeah. We have Adolin and his shard plate in the kind of the middle right. Mm-hmm. and what is probably Shalon closer to it, and then there's just all sorts of these figures creations yeah, yeah. in the in the back with like spider legs and all sorts of cool things happening yeah in, in true Roshar form, I'm getting a very crab like essence from this like mother sprint thing that was that was well done. Yeah, there is a lot going on there. The, these these figures, these creatures, seem very yeah nasty and aggressive and predatory. I in my in my mind's eye, I think I imagined more like almost goofy in a way like it like they're trying to mimic a human but they they can't quite do it so it looks a little bit silly like you know play-doh kind of smushed together whereas this is much more like alien type beasts Mm -hmm. yeah yeah this is way bigger than i guess i thought about it in my in my, I guess the way I envisioned it was more of like a normal 
hallway setting and there was just this big blob that these things were coming out of, but not necessarily like one huge deposit of like faces and things of that nature, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Very interesting. One thing I did want to address um, because Elliot mentioned it earlier about like this, if this is a sprint, right? Seems much more in the physical realm than than our others. I really like um, your I really liked your terminology there. On point. Nice job. Thanks. <laughs> um doing my best. Um and I I don't have a definitive answer, of course, but the the way that I've I guess rationalized that or thought about it is so this, from what we understand, is this is a spren that's, like, desperately wanting to, I don't know, be be something, right? It's kind of like an unhealthy, like, internal motive or desire for something it can't have. And so it's, like, becoming this big disaster. Um, and my guess is that it, like, started as a normal spread would, but, like, the more, like, corrupt and, like, the more it sought after this desire, it just kind of, like, grew more and more. And I think its physical realm presence is probably, like, an afterproduct of that maliciousness or honestly, like, I don't even know if it's malicious, but it's kind of, it's kind of, like, a sad story, it seemed like. Yeah. The spread that wasn't chosen for the sports team kind of energy. Like, you know, um, <laughs> Left alone in your theory for too long. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think the too long aspect of it might be important too. I'm wondering if we, we get the impression that this sprint has been in Roshar for like centuries or maybe even millennia is the amount of time a spren spends in the physical realm affect like how much they interact with it. You know, Sill is fairly young. At least we understand, you know, maybe a few years old or we've gotten some, some weird hints of, you know, maybe she was around longer than we think, but let's say she's been around 15 years. Maybe that's a really small amount of time and she can only at this point, you know, carry a leaf. But if this thing has been around for a thousand years, does it become more real over time? Maybe. I just had a thought with this. So we have seen a spren, and we were a little. We talked about this a little bit before, but lift and windle, right? Yep. Um, we've seen lift can like crawl, like use windle, right, to like climb on. He's like a series of vines, right? And we were like, how could you do this? I assumed initially it was an edge dancer thing. It's just what the sprint for the edge dancer did. But y'all were like, no, that's not the case. I remember that conversation. Um, I believe that's where it was. And I'm wondering because Wendell could be older. He definitely seems older than our other sprint. He's like, ah, back in my day, you know, yeah. I was a gardener. What a lovely career. Now I'm a retired old man and I... You know, I'm hanging around with some kid. Um, that's kind of the energy I've gotten from Wendell. And so maybe he's spent more time. And so that could be a thing of like, he's been around for 50 years or something. And so he can kind of be interacted with physically with his surge binder or things like that. Or have a small amount of like physical impact. Ooh, I really like where you're going with that. The only the only thing that might poke a hole in the in that is Wendell is surprised that Lyft can can interact with him. She's he's like, You're not supposed to be able to do that, kid. And Lyft's like, Shut up, Voidbringer. So they they have a very interesting dynamic there. But Wendell is not expecting to be able to interact with uh with Lyft is why we, we were saying that that's not a an edge dancer thing, or else he would know that. Mm, that's true. But I also think that, like, I don't necessarily think that pokes a hole because, like, Ray Shapir, right? Like, hypothetically, if she, if Ray Shapir was initially just a normal spren, just some everyday spren, like, 
if that's true, which that's a pretty loose theory of like, oh, the more time you spend in the physical realm, the more you're able to affect it. Um, at some point, you're going to make a breakthrough where it's like, oh, wait, someone can touch me now. Like, I am physically touchable. And, like, that's a, that's kind of a breakthrough. And Wendell could be there, I guess. Um, and Ray Shapiro would have been at, at that a long time ago. But that's not, that's not a super important thing. That just kind of got my mind thinking. Because Wendell kind of seems to be our, like, old man's friend in a, uh, that we've seen. Not to mention the Stormfather. If he's a, a whole high storm, kind of, sort of. He definitely interacts with the physical realm. Yeah, I feel like I just kind of went off on a little rabbit trail there. You're it's... fine. Before we move on to chapter 30 and the, really cl the real climax with Ray Shapir here, I just want to highlight before we get too far the building up to this confrontation with the Midnight Mother and this uh, this tunnel that they find. There's a there's a hanging in the in the square or whatever, and Ray Shapir in Ray Shapir fashion is going to mimic it and hang some random person. It looks like the person that uh, that was just executed. And so then Shalon sees um, the unmade and runs after it. And basically the unmade runs through a wall, kind of. And they figure out this, like, slit in the door and open it up. And there's this big winding staircase, you know, old-fashioned style, big dark pit. And the way that this is described is very like royal hall like there's statues everywhere there's murals of the heralds and did you guys catch what else there was murals of there was something else that i'll fill you in on if you didn't catch it there was a tree woman thing there was I a think. tree woman thing anything else I don't remember. I also don't remember. So as they were going past, there's statues of three entities and one that Shalon recognizes to be the Almighty. And one is a tree woman thing. And it doesn't really mention the third. So any anything further on that? It's Odium. Let's go. Which one? The tree the third, woman thing? The third... Yes. Or the third one? <laughs> no, no, no. The tree woman thing. Because the third... So we have the Almighty, and then we have Odium, who's that? Who's not what we expect, but that's okay. Right? <laughs> um, But the third one was going to be some like notable good character... Uh, what, what is it? Honor? Odium killed Honor, right? And that's why he's not there. We don't see Honor anymore. Right? Isn't that the premise? Like, we don't... Is it that we just don't remember this third one or that we don't quite see what's in the third one? I don't we know don't what tangent you're going off here, Paul, but I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to make sense of what you're saying here. I, I, I'm sorry. That was my really dumb theory, is that this tree woman is Odium. Okay. That's, that's it. I, that's, that's, that's the I, summary. I think I have a different I have a different guess. Sort of similar, but <laughs> the Almighty is honor, right? We know that much. Right. So if, if Shalon sees the Almighty, there there's honor. There's a the un, unknown one, another one. That could maybe be Odium or, or something else. But the tree woman thing, this actually just hit me just a second ago. I didn't, did not write this in my notes. Way back words of radiance somewhere i have no idea honestly where i want to say yasna maybe conversation with yasna and shalon or maybe pattern somewhere in there they're talking about deities and they're talking about gods and they talk about cultivation or something like that as a deity like alongside honor 
Mm-hmm. Is that who this Mother is? Mother cultivation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's a better guess. Yes, this, this mistake stomach. was what I was thinking of. By the way. Yes, cult. Mother cultivation is yeah. is kind of the god of Roshar, like the Mother Earth, if you will. And okay. and that's who this is. Picture next to honor and the third one, which we're assuming is probably odium. Sorry to burst your bubble there, Paul. Bubbles. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Bubbles. Oops. Anyway, I just wanted to highlight the the cool like temple feel that this is, and then they find this the library that Yastin's been trying to find for forever. Uh, national treasure vibes where they, they they find the lost scrolls of Library of Alexandria or whatever and yeah but they think it's most of it's been destroyed over over the years so that, that was a sad moment for me I I was looking forward to Yasna and Shalon finding a treasure trove of knowledge and us getting like all these lore answers and history and you know fill in some of the questions that we've got with you know what they're going to learn in these books and then they find the library and it's all dust sad face yeah all right so there's a couple interesting lines of text that i want to highlight in chapter 30 this chapter is relatively short it's it's pretty it's pretty short. It's the climax between Shalon and the the Midnight Essence. Sorry, the Midnight Mother, Rayshapir. And Rayshapir tries to bond Shalon. Did you guys catch this? Where Shalon has the option to sever her ties with Pattern and bond Rayshapir. And obviously she doesn't. She holds to to Shalon or to to Pattern. And Pattern holds to her and they hold their bond and uh, Ray Shapir gives up. But what were you guys' thoughts on this? This is something that was super weird. And I don't know that I fully fleshed it out, so. That's what we're here for. True. It kind of played it. So a lot of my theory with why is Ray Shapir like following around Shalon or like why is this all happening with Shalon is that she's maybe the the opposite of a light weaver or kind of trying to mimic a light weaver or things like that and maybe she just has this fascination with Shalon because she is our resident light weaver right um so that kind of makes sense but I'm I'm still so confused like why would Ray Shapir want to bond with Shalon? Was it just like a, oh, please spare me? Was it a, like, oh, I'm, I've been following you forever. I'm your biggest fan. Like, please, please <laughs> bond me. Like, or what? And also my thought is, what would happen if Shalon bonded Ray Shapir? Like, what would I, I have no clue where to begin with what would happen there. Um, Would, like, it just be really weird or like would she completely corrupt Shalon like entirely like would she just envelop Shalon like, I don't there's nothing to say <laughs> it's all it's all ambiguous I have no clue I noticed the chapter the, the title of this chapter <clears throat> was mother of lies and lies is kind of Shalon's thing I don't know if it's all light weavers, but it's it's definitely Shalon's thing. And yeah, I was thinking along all the same lines that you are, Paul, of what would happen here if she had killed Pattern or whatever that looked like and, and bonded with this unmade. Cause yeah, it does seem like this like Ray Shapir is some sort of like inverse of a light weaver, perhaps. The the fact that Shalon is a light weaver is mentioned a couple times in this as being important, as Ray Shapir fears her because she's a light weaver. I don't know if that's because she knows what Shalon is capable of or if she has some sort of special 
bond with light weavers. I was kind of confused by by all that. But are are the light are the unmade like are they all like corrupted versions of the different orders? I don't remember how many of them they're supposed to be. I think down our side at some point. Nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty, correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor. But you I'm are not pretty wrong. Confident, pretty confident in that. And that's when I was really like, okay, there is a ne- alternative to Stormlight. There's like a negative Stormlight. Yeah. And there are negative, like, in what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, reflections, uh, yeah, inverses of all the knights' radiant orders. There's um, and this kind of plays into that, which I think is really cool. There's some evidence for that in the next chapter, which we'll talk about here in a second. Yep. I do want to... I want to skip 31 for now, the Kaladin chapter, and we'll kind of tag on this last shalon chapter real quick and then we can just talk about uh sorry we can talk about kaladin to end the episode but um at the end of uh at the end of the part it's kind of just shalon sitting in the corner and kind of trying to relax polona brings her some tea just to kind of you know take take a deep breath it'll all be okay and Shalon has a couple of interesting points in her head about uh, about Spren. Did you guys catch this? So Shalon has some interesting thoughts about the humanity of Spren. She she like wonders if somehow Ray Shapir was human at one point, and it doesn't really explain. At least I didn't catch it why Shalon thinks this. It's just like the memories or whatever that she's gotten off of this thing seem to to indicate that perhaps. I mean, there's not a whole lot to go off of here, but that alone makes me start to question a little bit my entire understanding of what Spren are, perhaps. I'm I'm not really sure. I won't go into too much detail about that, but I did just want to highlight that before we completely moved on from our Ray Shapir encounter here. And, well, I'll talk about this at the end of the episode, but um, Adolin, at the end of Chapter 32, comes running in and says, you know, we, we've got company, we've got company, somebody's back. And Shalon kind of just, like, absent-mindedly says, like, yeah, I know Kaladin's back, blah, 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 who cares? And... Adolin's like, no, no, no. It's my dead sister, Yasna, or my dead cousin, Yasna, who just walked through the door. And that's how the end of part one ends. So Yasna's back. Jeez. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. Well, eh, you know. Now, just real quick before we talk about Kaladin, would you guys have liked it better? And maybe this is a weird question but would you guys have liked it better if this chapter had come without the epilogue of words of radiance where we didn't know that yasta was alive if this had been like a an Oathbringer reveal as opposed to end of words of radiance reveal it's a really interesting question actually my i i want to say I, I think I would have liked it better without the epilogue. I think it, it still came as a little bit of a surprise because I'm accustomed to this point uh, to Brandon Sanderson toying with me as a reader of dangling something in front of me and then not telling me anything about it for you know two books later. <laughs> and so when when we saw Yasna at the end of Words of Radiance, I was fully prepared for Yasna not to come back until you know halfway, three quarters of the way through this book. I kind of figured that's what was going to be. So this is actually a little earlier than I thought she was going to come back here. And so it was still a little bit of a surprise. But yeah, I do wonder what my reaction would have been if this was a complete out of the blue Yasna walks in the room moment. That would have been even bigger than it already is. I, I, I just always imagined that it would be way cooler if this was like 
the last two words of part one was Yasna Kolin, and you're like, what? Like, <laughs> how? You know, but it's, that's not how he wrote it. So. True. Um, I like the way it happened. I think if this was where it was first, like, dropped on us, maybe that would have been better. Um, so at the end of Words of Radiance, don't we see Yasna? She's like, in your theory, isn't she with wit? Or isn't there some point? Okay, I'm way off. No, she's like in the off, right? wilderness, right? She's like in the middle of nowhere. Okay, wit wit had to walk over a week from the shattered plains to get there. That's all okay. the information you know. I just remember her being like with wit, and that's kind of how we find out that she's there, just there, like alive, I guess, and all that stuff. Um, and I thought that was pretty neat. I definitely enjoyed that. Um. So I think that was like important. I am surprised that she's made it already. I feel like in her last book, the whole thing was like, okay, when are our characters going to like collide? Um, and this is just like already happened, and we didn't have that like journey of like. I thought maybe we'd be like watching Yasna for a while as she approaches, or something, but she's just there. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm hoping it will be a lot of help to Shalon. Um, because she kind of needs it at the moment. Um, and just everything going on. Does this also mean that Hoyt is back? We haven't had a wit chapter in quite some time. That would be interesting. You're right. Um, we never know where he is. He, he's supposed to be know. in every book, right? So he has to show up at some point. Ah, I didn't say that. I said he's in every story. Story. That's a that's a different Ooh. different distinction there. Ooh. Mm. I bet he's mm. in this book somewhere. We'll find. He'll him. he'll be in here at some point. But in typical Stormlight fashion, he does have to go off on some random parable story to one of our main characters. Of course. So of course. Let's keep your ears out for that. I I too am really excited that Yasin's back. I'm excited about having another order of knights radiant that we get to learn about. I'm excited about what she's going to bring to our, our group of heroes that are trying to figure out what to do. There's been a lot of moments where I've thought, you know, we've got Dalinar who's kind of the get stuff done guy. We've got Kaladin who's kind of also rather rash. We've got Shalon who's a little too secretive. They need someone who's just a little more analytical and figure this out kind of person. Yasna, I think, might fill a much-needed role in our group of heroes, so I'm excited for that. I would argue that Dalinar is filling a role that he's not really cut out to do because yeah. Dalinar, up until this point, is point me in the right direction, I'll do what needs to be done, just tell me what needs to be done, and I'll do it. But lately, he's been in the role of, okay, I need to figure out what needs to be done and then do it, and he's really struggling with that part of it. I'm curious too because all of our characters have changed so much since they last met Yasna. Not just Shalon, but yeah. think about Dalinar and Navani and Adol and all, all these people and what they've gone Renarin. through since the last time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Renar and another big one of Yasna is gonna like fall over in shock about where all these people are at in their journeys. True. She is. Speaking of which, I have. Okay, there's two things I want to make sure we don't like gloss over. I guess before we get to ending, I don't remember if this was here or last week, and we didn't mention it or what. But Dalinar can go now. Go into other people's dreams. We kind of learned about that with him and the Stormfather. That's something he can do. Yep. Um. And I was kind of curious to get Elliot's thoughts on that. We see that, and and that's a huge breakthrough for Dalinar. He's like, "Thank you for literally fixing all of my problems <laughs> with this inf with this new information." Um, but I'm guessing that's going to be a lot of the Dalinar chapters we see from now on. Is every time there's a high storm, and Dalinar has one of these, can go into these visions. He's gonna try and go into the visions of someone really like vital and negotiate I, I don't know what he's gonna do but i i thought that was interesting i thought that was 
I thought that was pretty cool and an interesting idea. I'm very curious to see how it's going to actually play out. It does seem like it might solve some of his problems. I also kind of wonder if it's not going to work out quite the way he thinks it's going to. You know, if if these other monarchs see Dalinar in a dream, are they going to believe him even there? You know, he's having trouble with trying to get them believe trying to get them to believe him over a span read, and he thinks, oh, if I can just meet them in person. I can show them, I can convince them, but like showing up in a dream, is that really going to be that much more convincing? They're just going to think, oh, I'm going crazy. Here's, you know, Dalinar, he's still after me kind of thing. So I hope we do get to see some of those because that'll be really interesting. But I'm, I'm a little skeptical. I don't know that Dal- it's going to work out for Dalinar quite the way he thinks. Excuse me, I know you're seeing Night's Radiant and Midnight Essence for the first time in your life, but listen to me real quick. Hang on. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Uh, the other thing I want to not gloss, I, I'm, well, I guess just finishing that little topic, I do think it's actually going to be something really impactful for Dalinar or a good tool that's going to cause a lot to happen. I don't know how. We'll have to wait and see, I guess. But I'm I'm pretty optimistic with it being a big, like, helpful tool because obviously people aren't listening to him externally, but I, I feel like that's, like, a different level that may make people think more or can, can like, showcase more um, of what they're struggling with. So we will see. But just, like, the fact they can do that adds definitely a cool, like, little level of depth like what if he does it to like Tyrvangian or someone and just like learns a lot or like like what if it's kind of flipped on Dalinar even of like he goes into a dream trying to like impact someone else but learns a bunch of stuff there's a lot of potential there I guess is what I'm thinking about uh, the other thing is this isn't a big conversation topic really but do we have thoughts on Renarin with Ray Shapir, um, he's able to kind of like sense Ray Shapir before they ever go in, and he's kind of the one who tells them, right, that it's like, oh, this isn't unmade, by the way. Yep. Um, and just like, what are what are our thoughts with that? We don't, we still haven't seen directly his stuff, but everything is so alluded to. It'll always make a point to be like, oh, Renarin was looking funny but didn't say anything or like it always makes a point to point out how Renarin is is feeling or acting in situations but he won't say stuff right and it's slightly frustrating because <laughs> I want to know what he's thinking but yeah I've got my eye on Renarin now because he does seem to know stuff he just knows stuff and uh, unexplainably and when he does open his mouth it's it's like answers we've been waiting for out of the blue Oh, it's Ray Ray Shapir, the unmade. Like, where did where did you come up with that? Like, that, just, <laughs> huh? What have you guys met before? Like, <laughs> right? But I did think it was curious that Renarin and Shalon appear to be able to sense this thing. They they seem to just feel its presence. But it's even noted. I think Shalon is talk. She might even be talking to Renarin, and they say. Why doesn't Dalinar feel this thing? We've got another Night Radiant here in Eurythiru. Why is this presence not affecting him the same way it is these two? That's an interesting question. That is, I, I, don't, I do not know that one. I do, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Jerk. Wow. If only Renarin were here, he would tell us. He'd be a homie. Or he would just I, scribble things on the wall vaguely and hope you'd figure it out. Uh-huh. Probably. Well, at least he'd give us something, you know. Uh. I, I did think Renarin got a pretty cool hero moment here in these these chapters, this scene, where, you know, before we've kind of seen Renarin, you know, paralyzed with either fear or screaming sprint or, or whatever it is. Renarin kind of gets a, a moment here in the spotlight where he's he's in the action. He's contributing. He's a major reason why they're able to win this battle here. When he's going around healing all of the bridgemen and that are that are falling and getting injured, it was it was cool. I liked it. I think it's kind of funny just to point it out 
that he he does have some heroic moments here, and he doesn't freeze up or anything. But every time he's ever just been in a fight with like a normal human, he's just locked up and not done yep. anything. But yeah. now he's against this like otherworldly, unmade one of the nine like dangerous beings or like I don't know something really like scary, and he's he's more capable, which is interesting. That actually is a good question. We before were told specifically that he has like epilepsy or something epilepsy, like that. Yep. Yeah. Has has his knight's radiantness cured him of that, or is his new abilities allow him to just push through that a little more? Or yeah, it's, that's a good point, Paul. We've seen him freeze up, but he doesn't do that here. We've seen him have glasses before, too, and he doesn't right. use those anymore, either. I think one of two things could be the case. Um, one is it's just normal character development. He's getting braver. He has the spren. He's developing powers, that kind of thing. Two could be... So we've seen this with Kaladin, right? That Sil can, like, kind of take away his powers at a moment's notice if he's not yeah. using them right. Yep. Um, and this could be where his spren, something with his relationship with his spren, won't let him like fight people. Except whenever it's this this right action against like an unmade or against something like utterly evil that the spren is on board with, right? Uh on board with fighting and that could kind of be something. We wouldn't know that until we find out from his perspective, but that's kind of your simple answer in your spread power answer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It's good. Thought. That was something I just wanted to, to, to touch on before we moved on, but that that's it. I think it's really cool to see some of Renarin though. We don't get much Renarin content, but when we do, he's, he's got, he's got his moments. He do. Kaladin and Parchman, are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to kind of fast forward through the first half of this chapter. Uh, Kaladin appears, or we, we meet Kaladin with Saw and Ken and the rest of his Parchman buddies who he's, they've kind of taken him captive, but I mean, he could leave whenever he wants as we see in this episode, as we see in this chapter. Uh, he's kind of tagging along to figure out what he can like find out and you know see what he see what they're up to and they reach a city do they tell you what city I don't remember if they tell you what city it is I think it did I don't remember what it was though and there are a lot of parchment gathered here and there appears to have been some sort of you know, conflict between the Parchman and the humans because the humans are all basically in prison. They're all in these cattle pens um, outside where they, the Parchman don't know what to do with them. So they're kind of just, you know, herding them over here and, hey, stay over here. We won't hurt you. So this is kind of where we pick up this, uh, this scene. There's a high storm coming and Kaladin kind of breaks ranks and says, okay, everybody get undercover. There's a high storm coming. Um, we've got some new abilities that Kaladin gets to use. What were you guys' thoughts on on this chapter? I'll I'll start off by saying this seems like the first example of the Parchment acting a little more violently or a little more perhaps aggressively. It doesn't seem like there's been a lot of death necessarily we saw previously where the parchment like went out of their way not to hurt people right which was which was encouraging it was it was a you know hey these people are not who we thought they were but here we have they've completely taken over an entire town like that's a little bit different than i'm just gonna steal your food because i'm hungry sort of thing it they obviously haven't like murdered all the people in the town they've still got them all in in pens and, and stuff like that but this this does seem a little bit of a step up of the these people are acting aggressively against the the, the alethi humans and it's it's unclear if this is driven by the 
Parshendi, the the evolved. We, we get a new term for them, right? In this chapter, we do. They call them the fused. Yeah, it, it's unclear to me if if the the fused, which seems pretty clearly to be the the storm form parchment or parshendi, they, they they're described with the red eyes and the you know carapace sticking out at weird odd angles and stuff like that. Are they the only source of these aggressive acts? Are they you know telling the more peaceful parchment to to take over this town or is it the parchment are kind of awakening to their purpose or something like that and, and acting more aggressively i'm not sure yet but this seems to be a, a a different level of activity than what we've seen before definitely has and i think you summarized it pretty well i honestly don't have that much to add um i think it was this was kind of the little pinnacle there of Kaladin going with the Parshman, um, and he learned a whole lot and saw basically what they're doing, and then he, he dipped um, when things got dicey, didn't he? Um, he sucked some stormlight and flew off, um, which was definitely right. Um, and then he has a run-in with a high storm, uh, and the Stormfather, and that was pretty interesting. So he he sucks in the Stormlight and flies off, but he doesn't go far because he, what is what, what's his, what's his oath? What are his words that he says? I will protect those who cannot protect themselves. That's his second Night's Radiant oath. So he 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 flies off, but then he comes back pretty quickly. He tries to lose the fuse that are following him. And then he comes back and tries to get everybody in, in shelter, like in the middle of this high storm. There's a bunch of people, you know, literally getting carried away by the wind. And he's trying his best to shove them in these in these shelters. And then he has some sort of ability that kind of manifests itself here, where he uses wind spren as a shield against the the wind. So he he kind of summons windspren around him that are not sill like th these are other spren and he uses them against like as a counterpoint to the high storm and kind of creates a bubble as you said elliot i i always envisioned it as more like a wall where he's like forming a wall in the high storm and then it's creating you know like a, a barrier as opposed to more like a bubble but either way uh he's protecting those who cannot protect themselves first and foremost i couldn't tell if that was a power related to his surge binding like is this one of his you know lashing or his other ones adhesion right yep is it is this a a version of one of those or is this something different is this him like calling hundreds of spren to him and the spren essentially doing this i i couldn't really tell but it does seem like a new power for him it definitely is i we've seen rules with all the surge binding and so i'm kind of on the train that this is just a bunch of sprint and he somehow has authority over them in a way that he may learn um maybe there's more than just being a surge binder um, or maybe it's Syl who was doing this whole thing. And these are just all her windspread buddies. All her cousins. Uh-huh, uh exactly. The whole family came out. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but I'm, that's one thing I'm really curious to find out. Uh, because if so, then I'm going to assume... Well, once again, that all of our search binders can do a similar type thing. Um, hundred patterns altogether. Yikes! Oh man, oh, man! So <laughs> literally, some... imagine the volume of the hum. Be some serious dividing by zero mm. happening in that crowd. Oh my goodness! No mating would happen ever again. <laughs> a deafening voice yeah no, no waiting, waiting. <laughs> that'd be terrifying honestly 
So Kaladin has a very specific conversation with the Stormfather. Did you guys, uh, what did you guys think of this? Where the Storm, he, Kaladin asks, hey, Stormfather, can you uh, divert the storm? You're killing people. And the Stormfather has a very specific answer to this. Do you guys, uh, do you guys remember what this was? I think that conversation went about the way I, I thought it would. The Stormfather is basically, he he seems to pause and think about it, but then ultimately decide, you know, I am a storm. You're basically asking me to not be a storm. Right. And so he, he's basically like, nope, sorry, this is who I am, and crushes the town anyway. The biggest thing I thought about from this is... It mentions, I don't remember who says it, but it mentions it of just how everyone has envisioned him as a high storm. Therefore, he is a high storm. And I was like, okay, do we just get everyone to imagine he's not a high storm? <laughs> he's just, I don't know, just a little gust of wind. And That's then, a good point. Then high storms are no more. Like That could be a nice little solution. You know, that could probably help some things or I don't I don't know fully what to make of that like can we do is that something doable like all right everybody on the count of three stop believing in high storms one yeah. two three it didn't <laughs> work all right who's not solved <laughs> like, man, I, wouldn't that be handy I did think in this scene back to the the interesting conundrum of the economy of stormlight and how these storms come on a regular basis and devastate Roshar. They 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 just they're, they're beyond anything we've ever experienced, you know, here on Earth. And they just wreck stuff. And Kaladin is here saying, you know, please spare these people's lives. You don't have to kill them. But the flip side of that is all of these societies on Roshar rely completely on these storms to replenish their stormlight. There's so many things, their currency, all the fabrials they use, so many other things that I feel like we've just barely touched on their, that are powered by... Their farming patterns, like every, yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything relies on these storms coming. It's such that in the weeping we just had where the storms weren't coming, like the biggest problem was all the upsetting of their economy because they didn't have the storms to come through. And so what Kaladin is asking for is to save lives. But Roshar needs those storms. They they they're built around them. It's an interesting we 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 can't live with them and we can't live without them, you know, high storms. That's something I just for my peace of mind tonight, I wish you hadn't brought up. <laughs> um, because I feel like we've seen a rise in ethical dilemma questions in the Stormlight Archive uh, with Delinar and Tervangian's conversation. And we've definitely seen lots of others. It, it, it definitely seems to be a common theme. And what bigger ethical dilemma would it be to... High storms kill people. Do we keep high storms or do we get rid of them and then crash the way that the world runs entirely? The power source of the whole world, pretty much. Like, not saying that they have the power to stop high storms right now, but that was just kind of mentally presented to me of like, okay, what if we, what if this was changed somehow, some way? Um, then people wouldn't die to high storms, right? But then it's like, okay. We also needed those high storms, so... And yep. now I'm now I'm going to think about that for three years. I, and... I've mentioned... I mentioned this back way, like, one of our first episodes of just kind of the economy of Roshar. And because the high storms affect the continent the way they do, people have settled in places they otherwise couldn't because there's fresh water available everywhere. So if you look at your map, Azir is just a complete wasteland, but it doesn't really matter because there's abundance of fresh water. It doesn't matter where you go. So that that's part of what we're, Elliot, I think you're trying to say here is, well, if the Stormfather stops, 
everybody in Aesir needs to pick up and walk to the ocean, like walk somewhere, you know, <laughs> like what would happen yep. to all our crab crab animals if there were no high storms? Well, where would they go? You know, our crab dogs, our crab horses, Mister Kremlin Man. Mm-hmm. Where would he go? He'd be out of a job. Yeah. Alrighty. Any closing thoughts on part one of episode the Way of Kings of Oathbringer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to talk about one more thing, actually, before we wrap it up. I know we're going a little bit long, but we, we briefly mentioned it. I wanted to, to get your guys' thoughts, Paul, especially um, on it in a little more detail. And that was the the fact that the fused, these Parshendi, Stormform, whatever they are, one, they glow with this dark light that we've seen a couple times now, this anti-stormlight or whatever it is, this this is like the first time I think we've seen this like actively used as a resource for powers. And then they seem to have the abilities that Kaladin has. They can fly, they can lash themselves. Kaladin, as they're flying like through the storm and Kaladin is trying to lose them in the high storm, he's watching them and he can see that they're like learning their abilities the way he did when he first did it. Yep. What were you, what were some of your thoughts on this, Paul, as you were listening to that part? This was interesting, and I am really glad you brought this up before we close out, um, because it does say that it's like they are emitting darkness, like darkness yeah. is coming from them. Um, like whenever we think of darkness, darkness is like the absence of light, and it's not something that you produce darkness, right? Right. Right. Um, and this is something that's like exuding or producing darkness, um, which definitely makes me think of the dark sphere again, or uh-huh. like just these evil powers, the opposite to our surge binding. Um, so are are all our stormform Parshendi are all the fused like wind runners or like? N- negative windrunners um <laughs> right i'm not quite sure the absolute value of a windrunner <laughs> yes the absolute value of a windrunner that's very scary um yes but as a fan of really incredible battles i'm pretty excited because i imagine with how epic our fight with at the end of words of radiance with uh kaladin and zeth over the high storm was I think we're going to have that, but on a big scale. Like, what if there's just a whole battle of people up in the air? Like, just a whole war, like... Well, think about... 100 feet above ground. Totally, because we've seen when Kaladin hangs around with his Bridge 4 people, they, like, Mm -hmm. inherit some of his abilities. (laughs) So think of of Kaladin at the head of, like, a flying Windrunner Squire army going up against all these fused anti-Windrunners. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh boy. Oh boy. Bridge four turns into plane four and then just fly <laughs> up there and just fight the the storm form. <laughs> um the storm form Parshendi and it's gonna be incredible. But um I'm really everything is what I wanna see the most next. What I wanna see the most of next. But the dark energy is definitely a huge thing that I am super interested in that. And now we've seen an unmade. I'm really curious to see if Yasna can shed more light on the unmade or things like that. Cause she always knows these things. If anyone does like Yasna will know it. Um, so I'm really excited uh, going on into part two. I would say the one thing I'm nervous about, um, just as a whole, is I feel like our first part of every book kind of has a hook, and then part two and three are like slow world building or build up, and part four and five is where all the crazy stuff starts to happen. Um, in Words of Radiance, part four was even still a lot of building, and part five is where everything happened. Um, but that's the only thing I'm a little worried about. Uh, if if this follows the trend and just how long part one was, if part two and three, like nothing big really happens um 
then it'd be a little sad. But so far, some crazy stuff has been happening, like crazy stuff. So I can't, I can't imagine it disappointing just with how much stuff is going on right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Paul. We, we might be headed into a slower section. We'll see, though. Maybe he's going to change it up on us a little bit. But I, I'll say for me, I, I actually enjoy some of the slower sections and getting to delve into the the lore and the history and, and some of that stuff. So if we get to do some of that for a few hundred pages, I won't be won't be too sad. Um, but uh, but before we we wrap up part one, I did want to, in keeping with my my themes from before, touch on a little bit quickly of what I thought a, a theme of part one of Oathbringer was. And we've talked about it already, actually, th- this episode and last. So I'll, I'll just real briefly say, I think coming out of this part, I, I felt like a major topic we've talked about quite a bit is the whole morality part of it. The whole, how do you decide what's right and what's wrong? And, and we talked quite a bit about that in the, this episode and last. And I think, you know, even even like Kaladin, who's out with the Parshendi, I think is is battling with that. He's he's trying to figure out is is it actually right to fight against these people or are they right? Are they justified in what they're doing of fighting back against? So some really interesting questions of how do you how do you define what is right to do and how do you how do you decide who the good guys and the bad guys are? That's that's I think my theme for for part one of Oathbringer. Yeah, and I think you nailed it 100. percent Agreed. Alrighty, you guys ready for part two? Oh yeah, interludes. I was gonna. I was trying to bait you and get you both to say yes, <laughs> and I was gonna say, well, too bad because we've got interludes to do. But <laughs> you, neither of you took my bait, so. Oh yeah, we're we're past the Trevor baits now. All right, we have interludes to do uh, next week, and then we're into part two after that. So. Let's read and find out more. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot, and I will see you guys next week. Let's go.